Have you ever noticed that there's uh, certain people in this world and it's like they're made for tough times? Like those crazy crisis situations, those drama-filled moments. And there's, there's certain people like me that want to run the other way, but then there's others and it's like God put them on this earth for moments like those. They are cool, calm, and collected under fire. They know just the right thing to do. They are focused. And, and it's just, it's awesome to, uh, to, to, to behold. I don't know if you know somebody like that in your life, or maybe you are that person, but I am married to one of those people. And um, it, is, it is just, it's incredible. My wife, Becky, she doesn't just enjoy drama and chaos. Like, she thrives on it. She lives for it. So much so that um, she became a nurse. And not just any nurse, but she works in the emergency room at Fairfax Hospital, uh, specifically dealing with pediatric traumas. So it's like the, the most critical of all critical situations. I mean, I, my blood pressure goes up just thinking about situations like that. And, and my wife just, that's what she, she loves to do. She, she lives for that stuff. Um, so the, the, the crazy thing is that, you know, I don't know how your dinnertime conversations go, but I, I almost like don't want to ask, honey, how was your day? Because, you know, I'm, I'm slicing into that nice juicy steak, you know, I got some of the juices running out of it. I'm just getting ready to take a bite. She's like, well, let me tell you, you know, what happened today. And I, I, like, I don't even want to really hear it, to be honest, because, I mean, I get nauseous just thinking about it up here right now. Um, she geeks out over stuff like that. I pass out over, and, and like, literally, that's not funny. I, I literally pass out. <laughs> so I have a track record and a history. When I experience a lot of pain, I pass out. When I see blood, I pass out. So the funny thing is, so we were um, at the hospital uh, with the birth of our first child, and, um, and so my wife is sitting there and she's like focused almost completely on having the baby. But then at the same time, she keeps looking over like, Derek, are you still with me? You're looking pale. Are you all right? Somebody help him. Cause she knows I'm going to go down, man. I mean, some people are just made for a crisis situation. I, I wouldn't be the guy who'd be at the top of your list. Okay. Yeah. I'm not the first person that you'd call in a crisis. Well, we have been looking these past couple weeks at a woman named Esther who is very much facing a crisis situation. Um, as, uh, as you guys may know, we are wrapping up today uh, this series called How to Find God in Tough Times. And I just want to say uh, a big welcome to all of you guys who are here. So glad that you're with us and those online as well. Um, so as far as tough times go, um, what Esther and her people are going through is about as tough as tough times get. And it doesn't necessarily start out that way in the story because what we find out is that Esther is actually the queen who's married to King Xerxes, king of Persia. It doesn't sound very tough, does it? Being the queen? I mean, many of us would like to take a shot at that. Um, that doesn't sound so hard. But the problem was that, um, that King Xerxes, his right-hand man, Haman, his most trusted advisor, had basically come alongside him and said, look, Xerxes, you cannot trust these Jewish people. They don't respect your authority. They don't respect the throne. Um, in fact, they, they have got to be eradicated. And so um, Haman convinces King Xerxes to enact a law saying that all Jewish people will be wiped out. Now, Queen Esther, no one knows she's Jewish, not even her husband. 
So you may be thinking, okay, well, this is a pretty easy problem to solve, right? I mean, the queen should be able to have some sway with her husband. But back then, things were nothing like they are today. So there were many, many, many women that King Xerxes was involved with. She was just one of those women. She happened to be queen. But we read in the story that it it had been 30 days since she'd even seen him. And a queen back then under Persian law, she couldn't even request to see her husband, the king. It was only when he requested her. She had no power. She had no rights. And get this, by Persian law, if she requested to meet with him, she could be killed for that. So basically, her uncle Mordecai says, look, Esther, you got to do something. All of us are going to be wiped out. This is your moment. You're here for such a time as this. You have to go to the king. And Esther goes, whoa, if I go to the king, I'm going to get killed. I can't do that. And as we talked about last week, Mordecai said, well, if you don't go to the king, we're all going to get killed and eventually you will too. So you got to go. You got to go to the king. So here it is. Esther's toughest moment of her life, facing death. And this is what she says back to her uncle Mordecai. We pick it up in Esther chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, Esther sent this reply to her uncle Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who were in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Now, most Jewish fasts were daytime fasts. You would eat before sunup and then you'd eat after sundown. That was kind of customary. It was typical. So this is a really, really big deal no, you're not eating in the, in, after the sun goes down. You're not eating anything at all. No food, no water, no nothing for 72 hours. This is as serious as it gets. And Esther says, so you guys go do that. She says, I and my attendants will fast as you do. So everybody's fasting. All the Jewish people are fasting. Esther says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So what this fast represents is Esther and all of her people are saying, okay, we are so serious about this. This is so critical that we're not even going to eat or drink. We're going to take the time that we would spend doing those normal activities. And with everything we've got, we're pressing into God. With everything we've got, no distractions, we are going full on after God, begging, praying, pleading, face down on the floor for a miracle, for God to deliver us. Things are not good. And there's many of you who are here today and you are completely feeling what Esther is going through right now. Because you know things are not good for you. One of the reasons you're here or tuning in is because you are going through tough times. And so if that's you today, you find yourself in a tough situation or maybe you know someone who is, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Do what Esther and her people do here. Do what they do. Some of you are like, wait, so like 70, next 72 hours, like not till Wednesday, like no food, no drink, like not necessarily saying that, okay? But what this signifies is if you're in the midst of a really tough situation, remove any distractions, any things that are getting in the way from you fully pressing into God to fully engaging with God, saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm 
pressing into you. I am pushing into who you are and your promises for me. And I got to tell you, there is one promise in particular that I want to encourage you to press into if you or someone you know is going through tough times right now. Because this one promise, I believe, is the most important promise that God has for us when we're really going through it. But before we get to that one promise, I want us to take a few minutes to talk about some of the promises that God does not make. Because often when we focus on things we think God has promised and then they don't come through, it leads us to all sorts of bad places. So let me just walk you through a couple promises that God never made to us. That somehow we've kind of got this idea somewhere we heard it or we thought it or whatever, it's in our mind that God's made us this promise. First one, first promise God has never made is a trouble-free life. God's never said that we wouldn't experience pain. God has never said that we wouldn't experience adversity. God has never said that we wouldn't have heartache and struggle and difficulty. God has never made that promise to us. In fact, this is not going to be encouraging. Well, it kind of is, but um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of the opposite. Look what Jesus says uh, as recorded by one of his followers, John, in his gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. It's like the, the inverse promise. Jesus says, actually, guess what, guys? In this world, you will have trouble. How's that for a promise? You will have trouble, guaranteed. You're breathing, you're going to have trouble, okay? But here's the, here's the good part of that. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. There's trouble in the world, but I have overcome it. Through Jesus Christ, we overcome that trouble. So God's never promised us a trouble-free life. God's never promised us perfect health. Sometimes we, we feel like we're kind of entitled to that maybe, you know, but, but we're not. And God has never said that we'd be healthy. Not physically healthy or mentally healthy or psychologically healthy or emotionally healthy. God has never made that promise. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. I mean, when Jesus walked this earth, he healed a lot of people who had health issues. And so we see God's heart to heal and to help and to restore health. And many of us know people or have had firsthand experience where we've had some unexplainable answer to prayer, some sort of a miraculous intervention, but there's no promise of it. There's no guarantee that we'll be healthy. Yet somehow we kind of expect it or we feel like we're entitled to it. We get upset when we don't have it. Another promise that God never makes to us is that we'll be wealthy. God never ever says that we're going to have this kind of cushy life and financially, man, we're just going to be like, we're going to be good and we're going to have this abundance of wealth. And I know that the church has been, you know, perpetrators of this prosperity gospel where, you know, you just do what you're supposed to do and man, God's just going to bless you and you'll, you'll have all this stuff. That's actually not biblical. Not, not, like, not in terms of financial blessing. Other blessings, but not financial in terms of like being wealthy or being at this, at this great place where we just, we have all this. You see, when you read the Bible, what you find is that God is far more interested in what we give than what we get. For God, it's not about us accumulating wealth. It's counter to it. It's what can we give away? It's how can we be more generous? 
How can we respond to the needs that we see in this world? There's no promise that we're going to be wealthy. That's not something that God ever has said to us. The other thing that we're not promised is we're not promised to find our soulmate, the man or the woman of our dreams, and to spend the rest of our lives in this just blissful relationship, and we'll have this big house with a yard and a white picket fence and 2.3 kids and a dog named Butterscotch. You know, I know how Pastor John loves that dog. You know, that's, that's not biblical. That's the American dream. But it's not a promise that God makes to us. It's not a bad goal to have, but it's not something that God somehow guarantees to us. And, and I got to tell you something else too. If, if you've ever had somebody, when you've been going through tough times, and when some of these things, you know, you, you've had pain or trouble in your life, or, you know, you've had health issues or, or, you know, financial troubles or whatever, if someone's ever told you, well, I mean, obviously you must be doing something. I mean, there must be some sin in your life or, you know, God, there's something you better pray because clearly like you're not in God's will. If you've ever heard that, I am so sorry. And I'm so sorry if you've ever heard it come from a pastor or a preacher because it's just not true. And I want to prove it to you. So there was a man who was so clearly doing God's will, it's unmistakable. There's a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. This is arguably the greatest Christian who's ever walked the face of this earth. Wrote much of the New Testament, responsible for the spread of first century Christianity, started churches all around the Mediterranean rim. Incredible man of faith and man of God. There's no doubt he was doing exactly the will of God. Did he have a trouble-free life? Let's, let's read some, an excerpt that he wrote to some Christians in Corinth. This is from his second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. So what Paul writes, dead smack in the center of God's will. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger. And he says all these places that he's been in danger. And then he says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. So, it's not just because you obviously weren't doing something right and God, you know, was punishing you. It, that could not be further from the truth. And when we misunderstand what God has promised and what God has not promised, you know what it does? It sets us up for a train wreck of our faith. Because guess what, guys? When something happens and we have all sorts of problems, when something ends badly, when, when we have health issues, when, when all of a sudden we have a financial crisis, what happens? We get mad at God, don't we? Or we completely think that, you know, we're the ones who've done this horrible thing and we, God hates us. It could not be further from the truth. So we have to be clear on what God promises us and what God does not promise us. So, the question is, so then what does God promise us? What is this promise 
that we can press into and we can hold on to when we are in the toughest of tough times. You know, when, when you're in a situation and you've been praying your guts out and, and there's no answers. In fact, as you pray, you just get more questions. You ever had a time like that? That happens to me all the time. When you're just begging God, please give me some relief here. And there's no relief. In fact, things are getting worse. What do you do when you're in that tough time and God is a million miles away or at least seems that way? The most important promise in that moment is four words that God gives to us. I am with you. Our God who loves us, who made us, says, I am with you. You're not alone. In fact, for many of you, the reason that you're here today, maybe the reason that God brought you here today is to be reminded of this truth. That even though you feel alone, you're not alone in whatever it is you're going through right now, that God is with you. Maybe the reason that you're here right now is to hear these words and be reminded of a truth that you've completely lost sight of or maybe stopped believing. A truth that God said to his people, the Israelites, through a prophet named Isaiah. God said these words, Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear, for I am with you. You need to hear that right now. I'm with you, God says. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Maybe the reason that you're here today is to hear the promise that Jesus made to his disciples before he left them and makes to all of us who call on his name today. As recorded by Matthew, Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says, surely I am with you always. Surely I am with you always. That's you and me. He's with us right now. Jesus made another promise. He said in uh, John's gospel, chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. He says, telling his disciples, he says, and I will ask the Father, that's our heavenly Father. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of of truth, we more commonly refer to as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. Jesus says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You're going through a tough time today. Those words are for you, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, there's some of us who are here this morning and we, we feel orphaned. We feel completely abandoned by God. We've given up hope. And I gotta tell you that no matter where you find yourself right now, no matter what you're feeling right now, I just wanna remind you that our feelings betray us, don't they? You remember your first crush, right? How'd that work out? All right, I mean, at the time... He or she, they were the one. You know what I'm saying? And for like 99.9% of us, that 
that didn't work out so well, right? And like all, all the folks who are Tampa Bay Lightning hockey fans, they were feeling really good about game seven of that Stanley Cup at home against those Washington Capitals. But that didn't work out so well, did it? I mean, feelings, they will betray us. They'll let us down. It's not always what's true. And though we may feel like orphans, we may feel like God is a million miles away. The truth is, we're not alone. God is with you. I'm going to ask Deb if you'd come up here and join us up on stage. Uh, Deb's going to share a little bit of her story this morning. And um, some of you may uh, recognize Deb Treadle because um, Deb's been coming to Grace for about four years now and um, is a member of our parking team. You got your mic on? I do. Yep. Best job ever, by the way, parking team. Yeah. So you're one of the first faces that folks see. So Mm -hmm. familiar face up here. But um, Deb's got a a, a pretty amazing story. And um, and and so I I asked her to come up and share. And one thing that you may not know about Deb, I'm not going to have her brag on herself, but she's one of these like just take life by the horns and just squeeze every last drop of it like a dynamo, you know, just super active person, and, um, and that's important context for you to understand with her story. Just like a go-getter, always go, 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 doing all sorts of stuff, very physically active, um, was on a mission trip with our Guatemala team last year, putting a well in, uh, one of the many wells we've done through the years at Grace. Um, and so just that's a huge part of who you are, right? Oh, yeah, you yeah. bet. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so... Um, a number of years ago, uh, Deb started to, to have something come against this very healthy, active lifestyle and started to get really sick. And this went on for a long time. She got more and more sick, more and more sick. It got worse and worse until finally after surgery, she was like completely knocked out. And that was a pretty critical situation and came to find out that um, she had Lyme disease that had been undetected for many years. Mm-hmm. And so, Deb, could you just tell us a little bit about like, what that was like for you? Oh, sure. Um, you're right. I was a crazy active person. Um, I was running and moving and grooving and in church and uh, athletics and all that kind of stuff. And um, I finally got, I started feeling awful, right? And I had the knee surgery, um, and that kind of just hit me hard. And... Uh, if anybody has ever known about Lyme disease or has Lyme disease, it is a nasty disease. And just to give you an idea from a physical standpoint, uh, imagine yourself when you got the flu, right? Your glands are huge and uh, you're achy and tired. Imagine having that for like days, months, and then years without a break. And so that's kind of Lyme disease in a whole. And then when you add in, I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, um, which is an extreme amount of fatigue. I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, all this from the Lyme. And so you couldn't really get near me. I mean, I hurt all the time. Uh, I, uh, goodness gracious, I was taking rheumatoid arthritis pills because my joints were so swollen that I really had a hard time walking. Were you able to work during all this? Yeah, you know, I was. Um, I happened to be a realtor, and so um, I would go out for a couple hours, and then I would scoot home and relax and then go out for another couple of hours. Um, the one thing that I didn't tell last When you say relax, time, it's more like collapse. Well, collapse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, this is crazy. Brain fog, which I had not mentioned before, um, which is crazy. You can't put your thoughts together, so trying to maintain a job is crazy. Uh, and it's like hard to read and, mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff, right? Like, yeah, you would read a book or I'd read about three sentences and I wouldn't remember what I read. 
Um, so this is a lot more than physical oh for gosh, you. Yeah. And then yeah. th talk to us about how that just kind of shaped your, your social life and personality through that time. Uh, as you can imagine, with all the different symptoms I had, um, it crushed me emotionally because I'm out and about doing my life and enjoying it. And I was crushed. I, I was disillusioned. I, I was upset. Um, and my life wasn't my life anymore. I mean, literally, if you would count the number of days I was home, I was home more than I was out and about um, for months, years. And so years. it just destroyed everything. Literally you know? years? How many years was this? Oh, gosh. By the time I got diagnosed, I was probably um, five years, maybe. You know, maybe if I went out ten times in six months socially, and I would force myself to go out because that's what I did, but you just... You overexhaust yourself because feeling bad while you're going out, you're trying extra hard. So by the time I got home, it would make it five million times worse. I was just exhausted all the time Man, and feeling terrible. I don't even like getting the 24-hour flu, let alone years <laughs> yeah. and years. I mean, that's just, yeah. inc I mean, just incredible. So, I mean, I have to, I can't even imagine how many prayers you prayed and, and, you know, just, and just the grind of year after year after year of feeling this way. Did you get mad at God? <laughs> Which day, Really? Which day? Um, mm. You bet. I, I've always had a very real relationship with God. Um, we could have it back and forth, but it became really raw. So I added the raw and the real, and we had knockdown, drag-out fights about this. Really? I would um, beg him to take it away or beg him just to, or why? I mean, why for so long and why for so many years? Um, it was incredibly frustrating. I remember once I'd had the Lyme at that point for two or three years, and the office where I worked had told me to stay away from the back of the office because they were clearing trees and there was just ticks raining down. And so if you don't know that, that's where you get Lyme disease. You get it from a tick bite. And uh, I was very outdoorsy when I was growing up throughout the year, so I'm sure I got bit numerous times. And uh, I finally waited about three or four months. I'm like, okay, I'm safely. I can park in the back. Well, parked in the back, and lo and behold, the next morning, I had a tick hanging off me right here. And... Uh, took it into the doctors, and it was Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever that had given me. And so oh my goodness. I had already had four bands of Lyme, plus he also gives you co-infections, which are bacteria. So I had two or three co-infections, plus then I got the Rocky Mountain. Rocky Mountain. And I was, needs to say, I was, I was upset. I was pissed, really. Um, yeah? Yeah. Um, went home, and I joke now, and I think about it, because I try to find fun in things, but I was so angry that I tried to do the... Uh, the movie thing, and I tried to put my hand through my wall um, because I was so angry at him. Like, why did you do this? I've had so much. Why are you adding this? And uh, I unfortunately have um, plaster walls. Oh. Uh, and I didn't go through like I was planning. I really just kind of slammed into it and oh. then uh, got a lot of pain that way too. But It's not a good way to find out you have plaster walls. No. 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 So... But Man. yeah, I was super angry. Um, and the only way I really could come out of it, guys, is I'd have to... Anger takes so much effort, and it's exhausting. And I was already exhausted to begin with, um, and I had to figure out a way to let it go. And the only way that I could let it go is I had to trust him in something that I couldn't see because that's all I had. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I want to hear more about that. Walk us through kind of your very lowest point then where you're just, I mean, you're, you just, I mean, how are you, how did God get you through that, though? Yeah. There were lots of low points. <clears throat> I mean, excuse me, <clears throat> tons of low points. Uh, you know, I, I can vividly remember feeling so bad that I would like, I'd beg him to just give me a break. I mean, beg, I mean, just beg. And um, I, I could hear him say, you know, can you do five more minutes? And I'm like, okay, 
and I can do five more minutes. And then I did five more, and I did five more. And that's kind of the way we worked it. Uh, sometimes he would give me that break, and I'd be thrilled. I mean, guys, really, you've been sick for years. All of a sudden, you wake up and you feel normal. You're like, well, this is what normal feels like. And so it would last, but it wouldn't last for maybe a couple of hours or even a day. Um, sometimes he wouldn't take it away. Uh, that was a tough one, when he would just not take it away. And again, I think I had to come to the decision that I wanted him near me, and I had to trust him. And I had to trust in something bigger, whatever his plan was. And I just had to muscle through. So, so, so was it like a, an audible voice? Or like what, what was that when you heard that? Yeah, I mean, as, five minutes? as weird as it sounds, it was an audible voice. Um, I think he saw me in my desperation. And I could hear him say, can you do five more? Mm-hmm. And that really put it in a perspective where I could handle it as opposed to me thinking... 10 days, 30 days. I think if I thought that far down that I knew that I would still be doing this in a year, that I would be overwhelmed and I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't be able to function. Just the thought of that would make me close in. So. Yeah. And one of the things that was powerful when we talked on the phone the first time you told me this mm-hmm. is you, you mentioned that, that can you do five minutes? And you said, God said, I'm, I'm with you. Yes. Can just, just five minutes, can, yes. you, can you do that? And what's so interesting is that you know, sometimes you would get a little bit of relief. Sometimes you'd feel a sense that God, you know, helped you in, in right. kind of in a supernatural way. And then other times yep. it was just, I'm going to link arms with you and we're going to, we're going to do this together. Right? Yeah, you're exactly right. And again, without him, I don't th- I wouldn't be able to do it without him. Because again, you're overwhelmed and you don't know what's up anymore when you're that sick. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I tell you, uh, what, what a grind for you, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Five years of of you know just dealing with what you had to deal with, and uh, one of the things that's that's quite amazing is that there's not this you know sometimes in church we like to have this like this there's this moment you know where it's like mm-hmm. let me tell you there was this miraculous thing and that happens but it it was more just this five minutes at a time you know yeah. God walking with you through it and. It's just amazing how God's seen you through. So now you told me you're about 98% uh, back. And um, we're able to go on that, on that Guatemala trip. We got a picture up there oh, of yeah. you. That's, that's, the Deb, that's the Deb right there that, that we know and love, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just it's, it's remarkable how, um, you know, with God's help, you were able to, to get back and, and be with us today. So Thanks thank for you so me. much. Oh, for yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thank you. So I'm going to ask um, our communion team, if you would, um, just go ahead and um, grab the elements and, and take your places. Just go, go ahead and come all the way forward, and we're going we're gonna to take communion this morning. If you're online with us, just make sure you grab some, some food and drink and, and join with us as well. Um, I got to tell you guys, um, I, I really wanted to do communion this morning because, because for me, this is the, the, the clincher that really um, just takes what, what Deb just talked about and really helps us to experience this truth in a tangible, practical way. You see, communion, communion is the celebration of God with us, that God came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, actually came down to this earth to experience life with us, 
to experience what it is like to be human. And this is the coolest part. And if you're here this morning and you're going through a tough time, check this out. We have a God who not only knows us, but knows what it's like to suffer. That when we experience pain, when we experience heartache, when we are literally wanting to punch a wall because we're so angry, when we are literally living five minutes at a time, forget getting through the week, forget getting through the rest of the day. How about five minutes? When we're at that point, we have a God who, and I don't know why God doesn't answer, okay? I don't know why God doesn't take it away. Why sometimes Deb said she got that relief and other times she didn't. I don't, I don't have answers for you on that. But what I do know is that we have a God who loves us and who knows what we're going through, who has actually experienced pain and suffering himself. And that's what communion is. We celebrate that Jesus suffered. His body was broken. His blood was given. So that then as we go through our tough times, we have a God who knows and is with us in an extraordinary way. So we're going to wait till everybody gets served and then we are going to eat and drink together. I'll be back in just a second. So just before Jesus hung on a cross, he was sitting in a room with his most trusted disciples. And he addressed these guys that he had told just a little bit earlier that in this world you will have trouble. And he said to them, he said, guys, I want you to take this bread and I want you to take this cup and I want you to eat it and drink it because this represents my body that's broken and my blood that's shed for you. I know your pain. I know what you're going through. And I will always be with you no matter what. Let's eat and drink together. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you that even in the toughest of tough times, when God, it seems like you are nowhere to be found, where we're getting no answers, where we're getting no relief, where we are living five minutes at a time. We thank you that you are the God of the next five minutes, that you are the God who won't always take it away, and that is maddening sometimes, but we just have to trust you in that. But you are the God who will link arms with us, who promises your spirit in us, to walk with us through the next five minutes and the days and the weeks and the months and the years that it will take. We thank you, God, that you know our pain when no one else does. And God, I just just ask that everyone here, particularly those who are suffering and in the toughest times of their life right now, would know that so intimately so tangibly that you are with them. In Christ's name, amen.